0: Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today on the podcast, we have Jessica. She's a powerhouse brand strategist and marketer. And in her tenure, she's worked alongside brands like Red Bull, TEDx Women, Girls Who Code, Stanford University, Bloomingdale's, and the Florida Institute of Technology. She is kind of legit. And she is the founder and CEO of SoHouse, a company that provides marketing and branding education resources, on-demand trainings for early-stage female entrepreneurs.
1: She is so in tune with female founders and just the different way that our brains and our intuition works when it comes to running a business. Today, we're talking about all the differences between small business ownership and entrepreneur entrepreneurship, marketing, feeling the need to do everything and be everywhere, how to prioritize on the stuff that's actually working in your business so you can move forward, a lot of mindset stuff that we're tackling today. So if you're feeling a little overwhelmed about what's on your plate and everything that you have to have perfect in your business, then I think this episode is going to provide some clarity for you. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, Ladies. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this chat today. I think it's really timely for a lot of our listeners and our audience. We just had literally thousands of people go through our five days to launch challenge, and it was obviously epic. It's one of my favorite things that we do. It gets a lot of people out into the world with an offer. Mm -hmm. And some people are starting their businesses for the very first time, some people are relaunching something that maybe flopped before. But either way, everyone comes at the end. Kind of um, overwhelmed, yeah. <laughs> and they've got their thing out there, right? And you know, we've touched on their offer and marketing, just in the fast pace of like, just get the damn thing out there so you can start making some money. But then, as soon as like that happens, and that feels really freeing, and that feels really awesome. A lot of the walls that we've built up start tumbling down and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, 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 shit. I need Pinterest and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And what about this idea? And I could now make this thing. And should I hire someone? And just all of these things, whether any of us take action on them or not, I feel like they just come pouring out of our brain at literally every second of the day. Now, a bunch of women and a bunch of new business owners are being welcomed into the club of now you'll never get to sleep and never stop thinking about your business. (laughs) And while it's a fun club to be in, it's a lot. But you have ideas for specifically female founders on how to tame that giant, that beast that is in our brain and that feeling of overwhelm and the feeling of needing to be in all the places. So Tell us a little bit about why you've started having these conversations. I know you have a new community we're going to
2: talk about at the end, but why is this something that's super important to you? That's a great question. Well, first and foremost, congratulations on an awesome challenge. I've been watching it on Instagram and I'm always paying attention. So congrats on that. That's amazing. I think just, you know, in my experience being a two-time female founder and exclusively focused on female founders, honestly, I think it comes down to this concept of perfection. I hear that over and over again. These women that we work with that are in our community, they are brilliant. They are amazing. Like they make amazing brownies or like whatever it is, or they have a really cute Etsy shop or they're trying to be the next tech mogul. I mean, it it just runs the gamut. And I think as women, we're just trained from a very young age that everything needs to be just so and that everything needs to be perfect before we present it to the world. And I just say no to that, like resist, like absolutely resist that because I think if you just focus on perfecting your business, you're just going to perfect it to death, truly. And I think that women really get overwhelmed with all these different plates that they have to spin and they just don't know which one to spin first, right? It's kind of like they're a circus performer and they're like, you know, spinning plates on hands and feet and like... Oh, because also we're the only ones who are good enough to do that. Totally. That's right. God forbid we delegate something to someone else, you know? <laughs> we just not fucking do it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the biggest piece of advice and feedback that, you know, has worked for me personally, as I try to build my business, and, you know, I've worked with like global teams, all the way over to tiny founding teams, it, it's truly about prioritization. And I know that's probably like, we're beating a dead horse here, but it really doesn't get much simpler than that. And there's an analogy that I love to share, which is um, very much a lean startup concept, um, which is a big part of my background. And it's this concept of sinking the Titanic. So the idea is if your business is the Titanic, right, you don't want to be over here polishing spoons while the whole thing's going down. So you need to be focusing on the activities in your business that are going to sink or swim your company, especially in those early stages when everything is so critical. So that's the biggest thing is to prioritize and then as you're prioritizing, Think about what activities you need to prioritize to keep your business afloat.
0: And I think that just so is in line with what we've been talking about throughout Mm -hmm. this challenge and that our goal is to get you making money as quickly as possible. And I think so often people get caught up in the starting social media and like starting a website and having everything being beautiful and branded and like my voice needs to be a certain way and they go on and on and on. And it feels like this constant stream of, anxious action taking like where they're just like doing the next thing and a lot of it is unimportant or it's not that it's unimportant it's just not as important when you're starting and so if you were to scroll back on our instagram you guys the way it used to look, the (laughs) kinds of graphics I used to post, the professionalism that was non-existent is rampant. (laughs) And did I figure it out? And did I tweak it? And did I look like I had my shit together over time? 100%. But when I started, I was writing blogs at 10pm and taking photos in the dark. I was just doing what it took to get my content and my voice out there so that I could reach the right people. And I'd love to know your take on hearing you talk about founders and lean startup. I feel like some of our people are going to be like, I don't know if that's me, but I feel like founders and small business owners are basically one in the same. What is your differentiation factor for that? And if they are different, how so?
2: Yeah, so how are sm- founders and small business owners different? I don't know if I would say that they are different. Truly, I think actually the difference would be someone who is an entrepreneur and someone who is a business owner. Both of those things are great, but I think that there is a difference. And for a while, I was an entrepreneur. It was just me consulting. I was a solo team. Like there was no one I needed to pay attention to or manage besides myself, right? And I think once you make the commitment to actually move from entrepreneur to business owner, it really starts to change the dynamic and your responsibility to your business because now you're responsible for these other areas of the business that you typically don't pay attention to when you're, quote, just an entrepreneur. Don't get me wrong. I think being an entrepreneur is fucking awesome. (laughs) But I think there really is a distinction. You know, Lean Startup has been around for a really long time. And, you know, at this point, global brands are... Taking note from startup culture because being a startup and being a small business allows you to move a lot faster than these giant organizations. And lean startup at the end of the day is really just about iterative growth. You know, it's really about prioritization, like we just talked about, iterative growth, and being able to focus on the things. In your business that really, really matter. That's really all that lean startup is. Well,
1: and that's literally, I know we keep bringing up the challenge, but like that's what we have taught you guys last week, right? When that wrapped up, every single one of you started with a lean startup. Like it's that ability to pivot and to see what is working, do more of that, ignore everything else. This new thing is working. Okay. I have two or three things that are working in my business. Do more of those, ignore everything else. And it's about being able to like cut through all the noise and the weeds or what is working for someone else or what is sexy or what is shiny or what feels good or what makes you comfortable and truly, truly like going towards the dollar bills, going towards sustainability, going towards growth. And so I know, like we've mentioned a couple of times, like prioritizing and really only focusing on, you know, what's working outside of just like getting your thing out there for sale. What are some other things that our people can be thinking about?
2: Absolutely. So kind of related to something that Abby said a little while ago, and I kind of want to answer this question going back to something that she mentioned, which is as founders, we oftentimes are, we get lost in shiny ball syndrome, right? We're building a brand and as a brand strategist, right? That's me. Like I live and breathe that life design and content and make sure that, you know, your voice is heard and all of this. And even I, with like all the experience that I have the past 10 years of doing this, even I have like failed at this at some point. And I think that's really important to say. And like, it wasn't until about six months ago that I realized, oh shit, like I'm building a brand and all of that's great, but I haven't actually focused on sales. And I went back and I looked at my calendar and I like classified and color coded everything until content meetings and less than 10% of my time was focused on sales. Shit. Okay. We're going to run out of cash now that I'm actually running a small business with a small team. I take that very personally. I take my team's welfare very personally. Right. So it's okay. We need to totally shift that. So I just wanted to kind of reiterate something that Abby said, um, cause I think that's really important. And you know, in terms of sales, Oh man, I mean, I think that A lot of the founders that we've worked with over the years, they're just so scared to get out there and talk to their customers, or they are talking to the wrong customer. And it's because, to your point, they haven't gone through this validation phase. They haven't really put their product out there raw and real and listened to their audience And listen to the feedback. And before we go off and we build all these beautiful proposals and templates and like everything else, let's make sure that your offer is actually needed, wanted, and that your customer will actually pay for it. And that's really, I think, the number one tactical thing that a founder should be doing. Yeah.
0: So how are you suggesting people validate? Because I feel like some people have these very prescriptive, do this, do this, do this. If this doesn't happen, then it's not working. Da, 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 da. And I feel like a lot of it is gut. A lot of it is knowing
1: and interpreting. Because we've relied on the formulas for a oh, product. Yeah. Yeah. And every sign said, yes, 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 yes. And then it still didn't work. And so that particular case study is almost like, it blows my mind. It's one of the rarities that's happened.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious what you feel like the steps are to validate. And do you feel like it's more following some
2: intuition? Or are you looking for specific numbers or feedback? Absolutely, definitely both. So um, I think, and my experience, again, this is all from my own personal perspective. I think that like, maybe 60% of being a good business owner is just following your intuition.
1: And no one does that better than women.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. And again, like, you know, Emily, your point about cutting through the noise, it's really hard to follow our intuition when our head is clouded with all kinds of crap. That's why it's really important to really hyper focus on what really matters for your business. And so The ways that I teach our founders to validate, and side note before I answer this, I have done this process with large teams I've worked with, and I've actually gotten a lot of flack from larger organizations who are like, you're not doing formal research, or like, we're not paying $100,000 to this research company to like send out this shitty survey. No, like, (laughs) at the end of the day, we really just need to figure out how to get you in front of customers. And let's figure out how to do that. And so a really good example is one of our founders in our community, her company makes metal straws. She's all about sustainability and she's all about consumers making smart, minimal choices daily to be able to help the environment, right? A very simple, understandable mission. And so she has two products. She has like a really long straw and then she has a shorter straw and primarily her buyers are women. So when we were talking about her process of validating, it first starts with a lean startup function called the leap of faith assumption. And all that is, is just your best fucking guess. It's just like based on your background, based on what you know, based on your intuition, what's your best guess, right? All we're doing is following the scientific method. So we have a guess and then we need to devise an experiment. And I can give you some examples of like what that experiment would be and then test and validate if our guess was correct. That's really the best way to validate. So in her case, we're taking it back to eighth grade science guys. Yes. No, seriously. Like these things, these foundational concepts matter, like just strip away all the shiny stuff and bring it down to the foundation. And that's a big part of the foundation. And so back to this founder's um, example, she swore up and down that the shorter straw, would be the money maker. She was like, our buyers are women, they have smaller purses, all these things. And so I was like, cool, go out and validate that. And she had like three or three trade shows coming up. And I was like, bring both and have your list of questions ready, really detailed questions of what it is that you want to understand from your founders. And something that I have to coach her on is I was like, you know, as women, we take the data so personally, you know, we think like, Oh, you know, the short straw didn't work. Therefore the short straw sucks. No, that's not the case at all. The data is just data and we cannot assign emotional value to the data. What we can do though, is ask the right questions and figure out if your hypothesis is true or not. So long story short, the long straw ended up being the moneymaker. And she was like, mind explosion. She really thought in her heart it would be the short straw. And for a lot of the different reasons, the women really liked the packaging of the long straw better. Women have giant bags and we stuff it with crap. And so they really enjoyed the bigger straw for a lot of different reasons. And so now their next round of production, they're going to decrease on the short straws and increase on the long straws. That's just a very simple way to validate is to have a survey ready to go, survey your past customers, you can use Google Forms, which is free, set up customer discovery interviews with past clients. And the trick to truly validating is to not ask leading questions. So you don't want to force how you feel on the customer, you just want to ask the question and let them answer.
0: I'm curious on those questions because I feel like this is the number one way people mess up this process is that they become so ingrained and convinced that they already have the solution that when they ask questions, I literally think it's unconscious because obviously we want it to work. We want it to be validated. We want it to be successful. And then we end up asking the wrong questions that basically just reinforce what we were already thinking. So like Well, and what is
1: that book? Is it The Mom Test or something? Have you read that? No, I haven't. It's so good. So it's a lot of what Abby's saying is basically like anytime you ask your mom if she likes something that you've done, she's going to say yes. like she loves you she wants you to succeed but there's still even ways that you can ask your mom questions about an idea that aren't leading her to just fully support whatever you're doing so it's very similar to that because we even talk to our people about like it is a business book it just doesn't sound like one (laughs) it is a business book and it's super short but it really helps give you ideas on how to literally get the answer that you need with the same scenario asking your own mother just rephrasing your questions
2: Yeah, absolutely. So what you're referring to from a lean startup perspective is actually something called the founder's bias. And it is that subconscious, unaware bias that we want our ideas to be true. And like, all of us want our ideas to be true. So again, I really just think it. I'm so smart. Come on. <laughs> I know, right? Like, my idea is great. Um, and again, like, I've been doing this for a long time, and even I have just recently run into this. So, like, a really good example of this personally is you know, I have an accelerator program, I've had it for a while, and we've had. You know, members go through. But I was having a hard time figuring out the sustainable revenue model for the model. And after a few flopped strategies, and after a few flopped months of sales, I was like, okay, I can't take it personal, right? My ego was bruised for like five minutes, obviously, I'm gonna be like, oh, okay, no one loves my course. But that's not the case, right? People do love the course. But where they are in their buying journey, that product or solution was not helpful to where they were in their journey at that time. So now me not taking it personal, understanding the data, kind of just checking my bias, checking my ego at the door and just saying, okay, what can I learn from this strategy? What can I learn from this data? What is this data telling me? And then now let me do an experiment to test and validate my next assumption. And that's actually how our membership came to be is the women who were coming through and taking our classes um, and the founders, they were interested in the information, but they didn't have the time to do the program, right? They weren't even scared about the price because it is a premium product, but it was mostly time and they didn't want to have to take these giant leaps forward. They wanted to take the tiny little steps. And so I was like, cool, we can easily provide this, break that down into like meaningful actions. And that's actually how our membership came to be is because of The data that I learned from a few flopped strategies for our program.
0: Yeah. And I think the word flop, we like to attach it to things that we think are unsuccessful. But our version of success is obviously different than any other person's version, slash, your version of success is different this week versus next week versus five months from now, or three years from now, because you change over time, you evolve over time, the experiences you have directly affect how you feel about certain results. And so I feel like while we continue to have that unconscious bias, we also have bias around results significantly so things that well especially if you get a sexy shiny result and then you don't (laughs) yes yes so for your instance I feel like you could have easily been like oh I should just quit and different business or like this isn't working or maybe I'm not supposed to do this at all and you're like eh actually I feel like if I step back, if I actually analyze, if I listen, the number one thing, if you do nothing else, if you could just listen to the people that are already paying you, then you can move so much further
1: faster. We're talking about when we mean like tiny pivots, it's not burn the whole course down and launch something different. It's... it's tweak it. And it's this validation where I think a lot of people forget like, yeah, let's validate this idea to see if we should even like take it out to market. But sometimes you just have to put it out to market and like see how it's going to be received anyways. Especially if you're offering a service or offering a course, getting that out there before you've developed anything is a lot easier than making it straws, for instance. So we talk to our audience a lot about like, just launch the damn thing and then we can tweak everything. But it's that validation that comes, that's going to help you write your sales page. That's going to help you market the thing. And when you're actually listening to your audience, even after you've made a couple sales, even if it's like two sales, like you can then pivot to figure out, okay, I literally just need to talk about this thing in a different way. And then it's going to go really well, or I need to offer it at a different stage in there, whatever. And then it's going to go really well. And so it's stuff like that where I think we forget, right? We have this idea and we put it out there. Great. And then it hits some sort of brick wall. Okay. Revalidate the message. Revalidate the purpose. No, great
2: point.
0: Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales.
2: this understanding that we just have to do like this one thing and then we'll make it big. And I just know, like my experience says otherwise. And the experience of the successful founders that I know, like colleagues of mine, my unofficial committee of advisors (laughs) that I've created, they all have the same experience. It is not this one thing that's going to get you on the Oprah show, and then you're going to be this bestselling author or whatever it is, right? It really is just these tiny pivots. It's kind of like you're in this constant boxing match and you're like bobbing and weaving all the time. And I think that's where this concept of entrepreneurship is really a marathon and not a sprint. And you really have to understand what you're signing up for. If you really, truly want to be your own business owner, it comes with a lot of rewards But it also comes with a lot of punches and you have to be ready to bob and weave. Like if you're not ready to bob and weave, you should not get in the ring, you know? And I don't mean to say that to be scary or to deter anyone, but it's really about expectations. It's about the long game and yeah, pivoting and moving and listening to your customers and checking your ego at the door. I think it's this fine balance of trying to honor that intuition, honor that inner voice of what you think is really going to work and being open enough to be able to take feedback.
1: I think that's the also tricky part of obviously everything that we've been talking about today is the balance of doing it the right way and not the unhealthy way. Because I think personally, from my experience, we our business got into this stage of where we were seeking so much from mentors, from coaches, from whatever, that we let that Cloud, what we knew was right and what we knew could work for our business. And so I think it's a really interesting blend of just taking a nugget of information and then like sitting with it for a second. And I think the thing that I forgot is, you know, our intuition and our gut got us far in the first like two years of business. And then we started just relying on so many other factors to help make our decisions. We would rely sometimes solely on data and not what felt right. We would rely solely on what this expensive coach told us to do and not past experiences or whatever, right? All of these different examples come in. And so I think it's it's checking ourselves in this whole conversation of being a female founder. I think we have a lot of unique skills that we can bring to small business ownership and all of that is amazing. The intuition, the gut is amazing. And then sometimes it bites you in the ass. And so it's just being aware of how some of these dips and valleys can happen and understanding that like at the end of the day, like checking yourself to at least asking yourself, where is this decision coming from? Like truly, why am I making this one? So you're fully aware of all the different factors that are going into your day to day.
2: Yeah, I think a really good way to summarize that in like a visual representation, I'm a very like visual learner. If you think of like the solar system, instinct is the sun and Part of the trait of being a truly great founder is being able to lead with vision, right? But not being like stubborn in your vision, but having a clear understanding of what it is you want to achieve with your business, what you want to put out into the world. And then all the planets that surround the solar system, all the stars, all the moon, everything else is the coaches and like your customers and data and everything else externally, right? But the solar system won't function if the sun isn't on, right? If the sun isn't there. So, To your point about like getting lost, I think it's just that true balance of like maintaining that solar system, maintaining that fire and that vision, and then kind of balancing all this external input and just trying to make the best decisions for your business to move it forward. Well,
0: I think one of the issues I see is not necessarily a lack of vision, it's a lack of action. So like people will see the things, they have an idea of what they want, and they may have really big audacious goals. But then when it comes to execution, something stops them, whether it's it didn't launch as well last time as they thought it would, or there's this one thing that's holding them back and they're waiting for this thing to fall into place or whatever. And if they just did the things if they just followed through, then even if this was not the ultimate solution, because usually it's not right. Like usually it's a series of small actions, at least they're one action closer to the thing that is going to be what's going to make a big difference. and. I think that lack of action can be very detrimental to people and they don't even necessarily see it as a problem. They think they're waiting for like the right time when in reality, the only right time
2: is now. Yes. Oh, that's such a good point. So I'm in a several communities and this one community, a founder wrote to the group and she was like, I'm early stage. I haven't launched my marketing campaign or like created my website or I haven't done anything because I don't want anyone to steal my ideas, right? I want to make sure that it's legally protected, right? So to your point, like she's waiting on the legal protection. I just DM'd her. I was like, girl, unless you are creating something so incredibly disruptive that doesn't exist, which guess what? Everyone's doing some version that someone else has already done. It's about how you do it differently. It's about your secret sauce. It's about What is it that's unique about your business? So yes, I agree a thousand percent with you, Abby. Like a lot of the women who come to me for advice, they have the framework, they have data, they have the information, and it really is about action. And unfortunately, that's just something that you can't teach. You can't teach someone to be motivated enough to be able to execute and get out there and do it that has to be an internal driver.
1: And I can't remember the episode number, but I hope that you guys have listened to it already. If not right after this episode, go listen to our most recent episode with Jessica Ely, where we talk about, are you a beer or are you a doer? Now we are doers in this business. A lot of people in our community are as well, where you just take action on something, even if it's quote unquote the wrong action or not the perfect action or whatever. But there are also a lot of you who are beers. You have to believe something about yourself before you take action. And and while I don't necessarily have the mindset skills to get you past that, because I'm just the person that's like, launch the damn thing, saying, I don't care. Like, do it. <laughs> that might not be helpful for you. If you're feeling, if you're identifying more as that person where you're like, no, but I need to feel worthy of this before I launch or I need to feel like I deserve this or whatever it might be. Go listen to the episode because other Jessica gives you some really good action steps on like how to kind of push through that a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's great. That's a great piece of feedback. Because some
1: of us are doers in business, but beers in life. And that's what I found in that episode about myself. (laughs) I'm more of a beer when it comes to my health and working out and paying for things that like a studio membership and like feeling like I am worth our family budgeting for something like that. So I had to work through that and had to have some conversations. But I feel like, When it's impacting something potentially as huge as you being your own boss and like having your own business and setting up all these things, I I just wish I could like gift people that like I want to literally push you over the edge of entrepreneurship and into small business ownership so you can just do it. I know your background is in branding. So
0: I'm curious, how does branding weave into this process, this like getting off the ground, getting things going, having traction? Like where does that weave in?
2: Yeah, great question. So branding is so personal, especially for Solo teams or female founders, you know, we live and breathe our companies. We wear our brands on our sleeves. Or they us? <laughs> are us. They are us. Yes. Like in my case. And then of course, in your case as well, right? It's very personal. And particularly this concept of perfection that we've kind of been, you know, talking about today. Is we don't want to put our brand forward until we feel it's 100% ready or it's 100% intact. And something that I teach um, the founders that I work with in our community is truly branding and marketing is really like tending to a garden, right? You plant the seed, and your branding is going to evolve over time. It is statistically impossible that it will not. Literally, my brand has evolved twofold in the past three years. And not just outwardly in terms of design, which it's done that too, but internally, the way that the brand speaks and its function and its purpose. So, you know, I think it so heavily relates to branding and marketing um, because of its personal nature and because of the fear associated with not wanting to put your brand out there until it's really ready. And yeah, as we've been saying, do it. Like, jump off the cliff, like do it. You know, we do not need to have a perfect logo to have a successful company. You do not need to have a perfect website to get sales. Like there are so many things that you can do um, prior to that beautiful branding stage that will drive your business forward.
1: Well, and I think what happens is, People who aren't small business owners, they aren't entrepreneurs in the outside world, the civilians, their misconception is that you do need to look professional before you launch. You do need a website and business cards and logo. And so this could be your dad, your partner, your mom, your sister, whoever, right? They lead us astray a lot. They lead you astray. And what's so funny is so I have a side hustle, whatever, very much just an entrepreneur in one side of my business life, and then a company, business owner, founder over here. So I sell earrings on the side. And I've used the same website that I've had four years. Abby kind of gave it a refresh, but like it's Emily says, it's not anything fancy. There's no logo, like just head to the shop or don't like that's pretty much all you can do. And my husband who is not a small business owner is like, are you going to like change the name? Like, what's your brand behind this? Like, are you going to pick a different name for this? I'm like, I don't give two shits what this business is called because that's not what sells earrings. Like I don't care. And it was... it just really funny that same exact conversation five, six years ago when I was just starting would have been a stabbed my integrity of like, what do you mean? Like, how is it not good enough? Like, how is this not going to work? And now being so far into it and having grown, you know, a half a million dollar business where I'm like, it's not that I know everything. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just, I see the value of that is not as
2: high as me just being like, I made some shit, go buy it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like for all the entrepreneurs who are listening, we're not saying here, go throw your brain in the trash and like dump your website and create some shitty logo that's not what we're saying but what we're saying is is that if you understand your customer which is a big part of like what we cover in our community it's really about understanding the customer that you're serving and what they expect from you do they care and that's the question so like Emily I follow your earring business and I love them and agreed, like, you know, someone's not going to care that you have a beautiful, amazing animated website and like all this, what they care about is, do I like these earrings? And do they bring me joy? So it's really understanding your customer and what your customer expects from you. And then all of these branding choices, all these marketing choices become a lot easier to tackle once you really understand that.
0: And I will give you some perspective and say that I think sometimes if we get too caught up in our background or experience, so like my background is as a designer. So my inclination is to have everything be polished, beautiful, perfect, right? Because that's my training. That's what I was taught to do. That's how I was taught to grow a bigger brand. And while it might work for Procter & Gamble or Whole Foods or whatever, the individual... People want to buy from people. And the more raw, real, and relatable you look... The more people are intrinsically excited about your story, wanting to support you from the ground up. And while I love me some branded photos and like doing a photo shoot and doing all the things and great lighting and like all of that, truly snapshots that my mom took with crappy lighting are the ones that go crazy. They feel like you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a deeper reason for that. Um, Something that we teach in our courses is millennials are a huge reason for that. Like they take up, I think it's like 80% of the buying market right now or something crazy. But for the past decades, we've been shoved advertising down our throats, right? Like advertising and marketing has been pushed to us And now the marketing landscape is very different. Now buyers control the marketplace because there's so many of us. (laughs) Buyers now get to say, no, I expect more from you. And this is what I want from a brand that I choose Invest my dollars in and transparency, it's a hyped up term that everyone uses, but it's really the number one thing that your buyers are looking for. They're looking for, are you a real person? Do I like you? And if there's no you behind the brand, do I like this brand and what they stand for? Does this brand feel like a person? You know, like again, exactly, Abby, what you said. We buy from people who we like and we buy from brands that we trust. And being able to show behind the scenes the not pretty versions of what happens that's what creates trust and authenticity and whatever way that you choose to do that as a founder is up to you. So like for me, I hop on IG stories and I'm like, mom, not like no makeup. I look like a hot fucking mess. And I swear to God, th- those are the stories that people are DMing me and like talking to me. I don't even need to put my eyebrows on to be able to have this conversation. You know,
1: someone messaged me the other day. They were like, Oh my God, your skin looks so good. Or that eyeshadow is so cute. I was
2: like, honey, that's a that's filter. A filter yeah. Like I
1: don't <laughs> I do know how to do eyeshadow. <laughs> Definitely not that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, for- for me, a lot of the people who follow me are women and particularly their moms, right? Because I'm a working mom. I have a toddler. So being a mompreneur is a big part of my identity. And so the fact that I'm my authentic self, like I'm not full makeup all the time. In fact, most of the time I'm not. And so that's my version. That. Yeah. That's my version of being authentic. And other women who relate to that will understand that. And there are some women who won't and that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, I'd love to go into talk strategy to me. If you could give us three to five action steps for someone who's wanting to validate something, maybe they just launched it and maybe they need to reflect a bit on what they just went through. What are the questions they need to be asking themselves? How are they supposed to be getting this data from their people? And what are their next steps?
2: Right. Go back to eighth grade science class. In order to understand what it is you want to validate, you first have to know what it is you want to learn. So you don't just want to create a survey and just like have a free for all, right? The point is you need to seek out a specific learning. So what are you trying to figure out? And so in the case of the straw company, right? She specifically was trying to figure out, was it the short straw or the long straw? So her survey and her customer discovery interviews were set up for that exclusive purpose. So I think that's the big thing is first have a very clear idea of what is it that you are seeking to understand, and then design your validation around that. And the best way that I like to do it is set up customer discovery interviews, which are basically phone interviews or Zoom calls. If you have current customers, go through and dig through your data. And again, set your emotional aside as much as you can. And just really think of yourself as like a data forensics, right? You're just trying to dig for shit. So go in there and find, do you have recurring customers? Have you had people who have bought from you multiple times? cool, let's set up a survey or some sort of like interview that you can ask them like what motivates them to buy again and again and again, right? What is it about your product or service that keeps them engaged? Let's say that you have someone who bought from you three years ago, and they've never been back. Okay, why that's a data point. All these things are data points for you to understand what's going on in your business, and then be able to create a strategy around how to address those things.
1: I love that. Well, how about you let us know a little bit more about your community and how people can get inside there if they're a female founder?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our community really came uh, of a place of need. As I mentioned before, we were primarily moving forward with a branding accelerator program, which we're still doing, but I found that a lot of our founders were just not ready. They weren't ready for that type of commitment. And what they really needed was consistent actionable advice, resources, templates, you know, they really needed truly a community, a place where they could just ask questions and not be judged or thought of otherwise. And so, our community is $29 a month and it's awesome. It's super affordable for female founders. We have a private Slack channel and I also have a bunch of mentors That are a part of our community. So, we do weekly brand strategy sessions where I teach maybe like 60% of them. And then we optimize or we bring in feature speakers and mentors to cover other marketing topics. And what's really unique and what I love about our community is we're not trying to be a community that addresses all areas of entrepreneurship, right? Like there are amazing communities that do that and do that really well. What SoHouse is trying to address are specific marketing and branding challenges. So all of our content revolves around marketing and branding. And it's just like a great place to get actionable advice, to meet other founders, to join our Slack community and really push your business forward in those incremental ways that we've been discussing.
1: Awesome. Jessica, thank you so much for being here.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me. That was a great dialogue. I really appreciated it.